This podcast is brought to you by HealthCareInfoSecurity.com, the leading online publication for risk management and security professionals within the healthcare industry. This is Howard Anderson, Executive Editor at Information Security Media Group, and today we're talking with Dr. Bill Braithwaite, Chief Medical Officer at Anacam, and well-known as Dr. HIPAA. Thanks for joining us today, Dr. Braithwaite. You're Given your, your background and being involved in HIPAA from the beginning, how do you see HIPAA continuing to evolve in the years to come? Well, it's interesting that the two parts of HIPAA that we're discussing here at the, at the summit 2011 is mostly about privacy and security. The word HIPAA you know, originally meant health information portability, but HIPAA in the industry today kind of means privacy and security. And I think those two things are going in different directions. That is, privacy was written as something very specific. There are very specific rules, and uh, that was because the thinking was that the, the principles behind privacy are things that have been around unchanging, basically, although they've been expressed in several different ways in different countries around the world. Those same concepts have been the same for decades. And that in, in order to apply those basic principles to the way healthcare is operated, uh, we needed to put out very specific policies and procedures and mechanisms to, to make it work. Security, on the other hand, was um, looking at a lot of technology and mechanisms for both uh, violating security and preventing violations of security, which were competing and changing very rapidly. So the security role was written with a very high level of analyze what the problems are, fix the problems, monitor it, and go back and keep doing that uh, and to keep up with the technology. And so what I see happening is in the privacy world, the rules are getting more refined, societal norms about uh, what we want to do to preserve the privacy of individuals is changing very slowly. But as it changes, we can tweak the, the privacy rules pretty easily, I think, to meet those new needs. Patients are becoming much more aware of their medical information and the, and the fact that they have rights to access it. And so they're tweaking the privacy rules to make that access more electronic, more modern, and so on. It doesn't violate any of the original underlying principles, but it's enabling people to get better access to their information. And when the technology to improve the patient's choice, the patient's ability to consent to disclosures and that sort of thing, and the patient's ability to look into the record and see what's going on and what's being done with the record, those tweaks are added to the privacy world to enable that to move forward. In the security area, I think what we're seeing is that the rule isn't changing. The rule is the same as it was when it was first published because it's so general. But what's happening is we're, get, we're getting guidance. So when the technology reaches a certain point, uh, and a good example of that is encryption. Encryption is now really easy to implement and it's really cheap to implement. And we're seeing more and more breaches of health information caused by the loss or theft of portable devices or media. So putting out guidance that says, if your security is breached, you've got to do something significantly expensive about that, like notifying everybody and, and facing fines and so on as a, as a carrot to do something about it. And on the other hand, putting out guidance that says, if you implement encryption, which is 
one of the options under the security rule, but not a demand. But if you implement encryption, then you won't be subject to the uh, consequences of those common breaches caused by theft and loss. So there's kind of those, those two paths that um, are approaching the same problem of evolution of the, uh, the, the patients and the technology, but in different ways. The only privacy and security criteria for stage one of the high-tech electronic health record incentive program is to conduct a risk assessment and then take action to address the risks that are identified. Which is the basic HIPAA security rule. That's right. right. The, the draft criteria for stage two don't yet include anything further, but those will be added uh, later on this year. What specific requirements would you like to see added? Uh, to be honest, I don't think, for the, from the security rule perspective, I don't think anything needs to be added. I think further guidance, like the encryption guidance, uh, is very useful for people, and further um, motivation, let's say, for um, people to do the right thing in security, which is to doing repeated in-depth risk analysis, risk management, and training, and continuing to, to work through that process. So something that would motivate people to do that, perhaps unfortunately, would be put some money behind it, uh, put some criteria behind it. So when you go to uh, certify EHRs, which if used meaningfully will get you reimbursement from the government, make sure that the criteria for being certified for that meaningful use includes some more specific guidance about the security that should be implemented uh, in those cases. So that's a, an example of how that might work. So the meaningful use criteria, you'd like to see it include, you must use encryption? Or? Because the technology changes so fast, it's tough. I mean, at the moment, I would say yes, you know, because I believe that encryption is the, is the right answer to many of these questions. Because the, the two major gaps, in, from my perspective, in the security realm have to do with uh, loose data, which encryption would deal with, uh, through that, that gets passed on to other people through theft and loss, and the lack of identity management. In fact, meaningful use requires that people open up the electronic data in the EHR to the patients. The patients have to be given access to the information, um, and there's a variety of ways of doing that, of course, but the cheapest way to do that is to have a patient portal so the patient can log in and get their own information in whatever form they want. But there's no way at the moment in, in general use as a standard for managing the identities of those patients so that you are certain that the person logging in is in fact the patient or someone that the patient has given proxy rights to to, to get in and uh, get the information. And then uh, I think it's real common knowledge at this point that uh, username and password is not enough to secure very sensitive information. And so adding uh, multi-factor authentication to that identity proofing for remote access to sensitive information is something that I think should be a requirement. Under high tech, the, the proposed modifications to HIPAA make it clear that business associates must now comply. Um, do you believe healthcare organizations still need to draft detailed business associate agreements? Yeah, I understand the issue. I mean, if they're already required to do their privacy and security, um, why have a business associate agreement that says they're required to do the privacy and security rules? The, the issue is that business associates are not allowed to do everything that a covered entity is to do. 
right? They are, they are in place as agents to do things that the covered entity can do, but has chosen to contract out to somebody else. So what the business associate agreement does is contractually limit what the business associate can do with that information. So in addition to, yes, you must follow privacy and security rules like the rest of us, it limits the availability of that information and what they can do with it and thereby protects the information right. more secure. Any other uh, final advice on HIPAA compliance tips that you wish more people would keep in mind? Well, you know, the biggest thing is education. You hear stories at, at these conferences and I hear stories when I go out to look at the hospitals and see what they're doing and so on. And, and I am just totally blown away by the fact that privacy and security are given short shrift with the budgets in especially large and small healthcare environments uh, because people don't yet understand how important it is. They don't understand that um, the age of the patient trusting the doctor who kept all the records uh, in a locked cabinet in the back office uh, is past. Um, the patients still trust their doctors, but we have to enable them to trust the whole system that shares their health information for a whole um, incredible number of valuable things for both the patient themselves and for the operation of the healthcare system and for improving the health of the population in general. And as long as we are sharing that kind of information, we have to do it in a way that's secure, that ensures the patient's privacy, and is transparent enough to provide the patient with a sense of trust that even though the doctor isn't the one holding my information anymore, I still trust that my information is going to be used appropriately for my benefit and for the benefit of the whole population, and therefore I feel comfortable about sharing that information and, where appropriate, giving my permission for it to be shared in this trusted system. If the patients and or the doctors don't trust the system, they won't share the data and all the benefits for uh, doing uh, electronic health information technology and, and sharing and using that information for the benefit of all will be lost. Well, thanks very much. We've been talking today with uh, Dr. Bill Braithwaite. This is Howard Anderson. Thanks so much for listening. This podcast has been brought to you by healthcareinfosecurity.com. For more interviews, breaking news, research, and educational webinars, please visit www.healthcareinfosecurity.com.